Welcome back to the 411 Podcasting Network. I am your host, Larry Zonka, and this is episode 91 of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, the 411mania.com website, and any major podcasting platform. Please make sure to subscribe to our show, share us around on social media, hit the thumbs up, and subscribe on YouTube as we would greatly appreciate it. Joining me tonight, making his return to the show... My friend and fellow reviewer, Kevin Pantoja. Kevin, how are you tonight, sir? I'm pretty good. I just finished watching what uh, a show that I quite enjoyed, and uh, yeah, it's, it's yes, good to be back. Very enjoyable NXT TakeOver, although that's kind of like uh, saying assless chaps. I mean, you know, I mean, it's a, I, I can't remember a, a TakeOver that I found, like, merely only good or like a, like a 7 out of 10, you know, it's... I, I, I saw a tweet that said, you know, the first takeover was May 2014 and we haven't had a mediocre one ever, which is crazy for six years. I think like that first takeover was probably the worst and it was still pretty damn good. And everything since then has just been like exactly. knocking out the park. And it's, uh, it's so great when that happens because it's uh, it's so much fun to talk about good wrestling. You know, it's it, it's always the best mm-hmm. because I always say it's like. Yeah, it's kind of fun every once in a while in a blue moon when there's a bad show. Because it's it's okay to vent every once in a while. You need to do that. But the other thing that comes with that is mm-hmm. there's only so many ways you can say something is bad until you sound like you're just bitching. Yeah, sometimes it can, it, like you said, though, it can be fun to review those bad ones and get a good laugh, but it's nice to have exactly. something good also. So we will be reviewing NXT TakeOver Portland, but uh, before we head into that, we are going to hit a quick uh, news roundup. There's some stuff I wanted to talk about with Kev since he was joining me again this week. And um, first off, dude, we have some rumored WrestleMania matches. First up, mm-hmm. looks like John Cena and Elias headed for the big show. What are you thinking, Kev? It's a weird one to me. Like, I mean, I don't mind the match, um, but it just it doesn't feel big enough, I guess. Like, if John Cena's coming back for his first Mania match and what, like, other than Undertaker squashing him in, like, two or three years, I think it should be something bigger than this. Like, we had this on Raw a few years ago. There's nothing about it that feels special. Yeah, I agree. And the other thing is, a lot of people are going to talk about, like, you know, Cena kind of punked him out the last couple years and stuff like that. And, yeah, that's nice and all, I guess. But I'm in full agreement with you. You're bringing back Big Match John here. And you're giving him Elias. And, like, no no disrespect to Elias. Seems like a really nice dude. Mm -hmm. Works really hard. Uh, the thing is, is like Elias is booking. I, I I think you'll probably agree he's generally shit with like the flip flopping feel hey, face heel stuff. Yeah. Like, what are they gonna do? Turn him heel again for WrestleMania after they've turned him face and it seems to be working? Yeah, I'm not really getting that either. I mean, it's it, I don't understand like what this would do at all in general. Like, I don't think it helps Elias. It feels like a waste of Cena coming back. Like, if this was. You know, Super Showdown, sure, throw this match on the card. It's it's not bad, but when it's for WrestleMania, I want something. Even if they did, I heard some rumors of, like, Cena Goldberg. Like, okay, at least it's notable names. I don't need to see Goldberg wrestle, but it makes more sense to me. Exactly, and that's the thing. I I think if you're bringing John back, I mean, you should give him something major. My only excuse for this, I think, is maybe there's something because, you know, he has all the movie commitments – Maybe it's something to where he can only go in there and work five minutes and Elias is a dude that's probably not going to hurt him. 
and they'll go in there and John will beat them quickly. Mm-hmm. And I guess if that's the case, I get it. But like, if there's no like stipulations on him coming back, I don't understand why you don't go for a big match. And I wrote a column on it, and like you mentioned Goldberg, I, I had Goldberg there. In theory, if you want to try to make a name, as much as I'm not a huge fan of him, I'm not going to be a dick about it, but I mean, King Corbin. I mean, you look back on the last time John was back and he worked a bunch of live events, he worked King Corbin on almost all of them, and he fucking owned them. Mm-hmm. And there's also the built-in story of if King Corbin wanted to go back to the fact that it was Cena who cost him his money there in the There you go, briefcase. so there's that as well. So, I mean, at the very least, I may not have liked it, but the Corbin one would have made perfect sense. And again, I think you could have done something like, you know, Brian right now has no direction and we know they've had great stuff in the past. So again, I guess if there's some kind of stipulation in the contract or the insurance due to the movie stuff, I get it. But otherwise, this feels like a big miss from the company. Yeah, on it, like it, like you were saying, even if he's supposed to just work maybe five minutes with limitations, I guess Goldberg makes sense like in the way of the time frame, although he might not be as safe. But, you know, Corbin or, you know, could work there too. If there's no limitations, I personally would just do him, Brian, just build off the fact that, you know, Cena beat him. I mean, Brian beat him in their one major match and Cena never got a chance to avenge. Like Cena kind of beat everybody at least once. But he never really beat Brian in a big match, and that'll you know they'll kill it. They'll they'll they'll, they'll do exactly, something great together. And I agree with that, and I get your point on Goldberg, and totally don't disagree. But I think you will probably agree on this: is if you're looking for a big match and a match that hasn't happened, Cena and Goldberg would fit that bill, and feels like a Mania match. For sure, you know they use Goldberg because of the name value, which I get, and that just and you know it would. I mean, I can't imagine it's not, you know, it has to be better than Undertaker Goldberg. <laughs> Cena's at a different point of his career than Yeah, I don't Undertaker. think John will try to kill himself during the match, so. <laughs> yeah, you got to get that big money. <laughs> That's right. So uh, the other rumored WrestleMania match that came out this week is it looks like we're to get AJ Styles and The Undertaker. Now, you look at this match and kind of the running joke is, there's a guy living off of his past accomplishments, still trying to play the role he always played, and he's facing The Undertaker. And I, <laughs> I, I get that because, listen, I love AJ Styles. I think AJ Styles is phenomenal. I watched AJ Styles grow from a pure spot monkey, literally, to a tremendous high flyer, mm-hmm. to a great professional wrestler, and he had some of the greatest shit ever in TNA. I think we'll agree, though, in this last year, while he hasn't had bad matches, he's had a lot of kind of disappointing gentlemen's three type stuff with like really good guys like Ricochet and Cedric. Honestly, and you know, like you said, you've seen it from the beginning. When I first watched TNA was 2005. The first pay-per-view I saw was Unbreakable and AJ Styles was my guy. Since 2005, he's been one of, if not my favorite wrestlers. So I agree with you on everything there, but yeah, after he when he first came to WWE, his 2016 like 20 his 2016 was unbelievable. He just was you know on point in every way, but it was like starting in 2017, probably around the feud with Kevin Owens. It just it's like like you said, gentlemen's three like you would rate his matches. You know, there'd be a few exceptions, but like the Nakamura feud was a disappointment. The Owens feud was a disappointment. The Ricochet feud was a disappointment. There were still a few matches in there, like the yeah, Seth Rollins one at Money in the Bank was fantastic. 
It's so good. Um, so, you know, he can still reach back and do it, but he's clearly not like the AJ Styles consistently that we were used to, which I get it. You know, he's older and stuff, but, you know, it's a case of I'm just not constantly getting that great performance from him like he was in 2016. You know, him and Cena, him and Dean Ambrose, him and pretty much anybody they put Roman. You know, they were having bangers Agreed. every week. And, uh, so you're. it looks like we're getting AJ and Undertaker and. I think that the idea behind it is obviously they have a lot of trust in AJ still. And they're hoping that AJ is still enough of AJ to provide enough moving parts to have a good match with Taker. And, you know, Taker, obviously, no spring chicken, very limited the last few years. Um, that Goldberg match, I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, I yes. mean that, that match, it was like a minute 30 or two minutes in. I'm like, this is pretty good. And then they almost killed each other like three times. <laughs> and it just, I was like, oh no. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so it's just, and, I, I don't know. It's like, on one hand, I'm really happy for AJ because obviously this is an important match in terms of WWE. They have a lot of trust in him and not everybody gets the Undertaker match. And it is WrestleMania. So that is a big deal. Certainly. And I'm not trying to knock Shane McMahon, but I do think it's kind of sad that we're looking at AJ Styles' WWE WrestleMania career and, like, his best match is with Shane. It really is. And that's, you know, again, it's not trying to knock him, but, yeah, the Jericho one was good but not great. The Shane one was, I thought, like, really, I thought it was great. Um, They did way better than I expected them to. The Nakamura was kind of there and the Orton one was good it's like it's all yeah, good but and it's not just, great. so I, I don't know what we'll get I mean maybe they have a good match but I'm not like I know there's a lot of people all of a sudden that it's either you're one side or the other everybody's expecting like a great match or they're expecting it's going to be trash because quote unquote they're both way past their prime <laughs> yeah I think it'll be somewhere in the middle and it can, I don't think it's going to be great I don't think it's going to be a dumpster fire either mostly because well I mean as long as they keep it don't have Undertaker work 25 minutes like he did against Triple H in Australia. Um, keep it under 10 minutes and let AJ just, like, what AJ does well is he can still bump very well for big guys. So just let Undertaker throw him around for a bit. AJ gets a bit of offense in, and then I'm assuming Undertaker wins, you know, go home. Just keep it short and simple. You know, don't, don't try to do too much. So we have The Fiend and Goldberg coming up here at Super Saradown. And one thing I've seen thrown around, and I want to ask you this, in all honesty, more interesting WrestleMania match to you, The Fiend versus Roman Reigns or Goldberg versus Roman Reigns? <laughs> this is interesting because it's like on paper it should be Bray versus Roman. It should be. You know, The Fiend is, yeah. But I feel like I would be more interested in, in Roman Goldberg. And I say this as somebody who is never really a Goldberg fan. For me with The Fiend, I feel like if they put him versus Roman at Mania, I think they're going to want to drag it out and have this, like, try to go for this, like, epic 25-minute match. And I, that's no, not Bray's wheelhouse. Honestly, honestly, it hasn't been Roman's at Mania either, but I think that's more like, you know, he had to work Undertaker for 25 minutes at Triple H. So, um, But it's like the longer that The Fiend matches go, it, he tries to do – it's like he has so many ideas and he tries to put them all into one match and it's it just – it never works that when it's a long and, match. That and a combination and just, of diminishing yeah. returns with his gimmick of the no-sell thing. So yeah. you put in kind of like way too many cooks in the kitchen with all the ideas and then you – excuse me, you go really long with the no-sell stuff and then it's just like mm – -hmm. it's like the Seth match. It, it was like – 
Yeah, ever people were trying to tell me like the uh, the title change with Seth was so great, and it was like curb stomp. The fiend gets up. Curb stomp. The fiend gets up. They brawl, Sister Abigail. Yeah. Curb stomp. The fiend gets up, and it's like, it's like, what the hell? Yes. Are we going to see like twenty five spears at Super Showdown? That's what I'm thinking. It's a case of you know, it's like I get the idea of what they wanted to do with Bray, but you kind of book yourselves in the corner because somebody has to do something extravagant to beat him, and then if Roman does it, Roman's ending the title reign of someone that the crowd likes, and that's just going to be another negative. You know, like the crowd's going to react negatively to that for Roman. So it's just it's kind of a tough situation. Um, yeah, I, I don't I don't know here. Um, it's kind of. It's weird because The Fiend is a cool idea, but I actually prefer him more as, like, sweater vest-wearing Firefly Funhouse Bray <laughs> than The Fiend. Yeah, it's like, I, I think, I agree, there are a lot of good ideas with The Fiend and the Bray stuff, and, like, the kind of duality between the characters, which they really haven't gotten into mm-hmm. enough for me as part of the problem as well, but I sit there and I just, I think it comes down to when it was Bray Wyatt as well, just playing, it's it's an execution problem for me. It's like, yeah, yeah it's, it's like a lot of great ideas, like you said. I think Bray is a great speaker. I don't think he's necessarily a great promo. He's a great speaker. He delivers things really well. Um, like in the previous gimmick, the problem was is he would go out there and talk for eight minutes and he had no fucking clue what he said. It's like he delivered it like it was like great execution. But what the fuck are you telling me, brother? It's like it's like give me something. So yeah, it's like honestly, it's like I don't want to see them like ruin the fiend. I want them to to try to improve it. But I'm not gonna lie. I'm kind of honestly, yeah. I'd be more interested in Goldberg and Reigns myself. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. Like like you were saying, uh, just to go back to the Bray thing. This is not me saying that I don't like Bray as a wrestler. I think you know he's. I don't think he's bad or anything. But it's almost like he was more meant to be an actor than a wrestler because he delivers the lines convincingly and so well. But it's like the things he say he says don't really work in wrestling because it's like he talks about these things, but they don't really have an impact on the match itself. Like when he was Bray, he was this like weird cult leader and he would feud with Cena and Ryback and all these guys. And at the end of the day, you're like, what the hell are they fighting about again? Yeah, and you really don't know because it's like you need like a fucking Dakota ring to get out through his promos. So that was, <laughs> yeah. And I'd rather listen. I'd rather listen to him for you know a ninety minute, two hour movie than listen to him say the same thing every week after week after yeah. week. So again, yeah, obviously, I mean, the dude is just—he's a very good speaker. His delivery is there's very few that mm-hmm. have as good delivery as he does because the delivery is just on point. But it's just like there was no context yeah. to it back in the original Bray Wyatt character, which I think is what really hurt him. He would work well in, uh, remember the old NXT seasons where they'd be like, here, tell, uh, you know, give us a promo on mustache. Like, he would deliver that so well because he can say it well, but it's not, you know, it's like he could say something stupid and make yeah, it sound so, good. Dude with a lot of great ideas, and there's obviously talent there, but it's just, I think it's just an execution problem overall, which is kind of what's rubbing me mm-hmm. the wrong way with it. Um, we're coming off what I thought, uh, I think you said as well, a pretty great episode of AEW Dynamite this week. Uh, we had a yes. big title change in the women's division with Nyla Rose winning the championship. Unfortunately, this has been overshadowed, uh, Kevin, with unfortunate, negative, transphobic bullshit. 
And it's just really sad because, and I don't know what you felt, but I thought this was one of, if not the best, AEW singles women's wrestling matches. I thought that they played their roles extremely well. I love Riho. She's a tremendous babyface. I thought Nyla looked the best she ever looked. Uh, The title change came off well. Um, The little post-match thing where she was talking some smack to Kenny was great. Uh, Blew off the hug from Tony Mm -hmm. Khan. and. I just I thought everything yeah. was really well done, and unfortunately, people aren't talking about this cool title change and what a quality match it was. We're talking about all this bullshit reaction and the fact that it's 2020, and we still get racist, transphobic bullshit from people. It's 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 insane, you know. It's like you see these things, and then you wonder, like. I just, you know, for me personally, I was never raised like that. I was always just like, you know, somebody's, you know, you're you're a woman, you're a woman. It's like it's not a, it's not some big deal or something that you need to make it into this. You know, you don't have to be offensive about it. And I just, I'll never understand like that mindset in general. But to get to the the wrestling itself, um, I do want to point out real quick, we had like really good women's wrestling like championship matches across the board this week. Becky Oscar was great on Raw. Uh, Rio Nyla Rose was very good. I even li- I like Bailey Carmella, and you know we'll talk about it at Takeover. But I like that women's match too. So good stuff across the board. Um, yeah, I agree. This is the best women's like singles match, probably women's match in general that I've seen in AEW. Um, I, I'm somebody who hasn't really been impressed I by agree. Nyla Rose. I'm the same way. Um, yeah, like she's. I get the role of her being like the bruiser of the division's cool, but she hasn't really wowed me. But this was the first match where it felt like she really got it and it was clicking well. I don't know if I would have taken the title off of Rio, Rio yet, and if if I was, I probably would have um, gone with Britt Baker. Uh, but I think this is an interesting way to go. Like you said, I really like the thing where she just, you know, talked trash to Kenny Omega. Um, it the whole thing just came off way better than I thought it would. And I'm somebody who has questioned the women's division in AEW because I think it's one of their weak points. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And uh, this was very good. Um, Yeah, definitely a highlight on a very good episode of Dynamite. Their best in weeks. Just unfortunate all around, man. I just... uh... It's just one of those general things. And I try not to get into all this stuff too much, but it's fucking 2020, man. Really? We're still spotting out racist bullshit and transphobic bullshit and all that. Like, get the fuck over yourselves. Yeah, it's like the second that I clicked on that, pic, you know, the tweet about her winning the title, it was just like 10, 11 comments in a row just about, well, she's a, you know, they use that gift from the um, State Farm commercial. Well, she's a guy. So, and it's like, that. no, that's not the case. Like, it's not, you know, just, it's, it's, it's crazy. It, it's insane. Unfortunate bullshit, I say, so. Absolutely, that's the best way I think to describe it. And again, like I said, we should actually be, the conversation should be, hey, look at the turnaround of the AEW women's division as of late, because you have some good parts in there, you have people like Statlander and Hikaru Shida who are really good, Big Swole has Mm -hmm. a ton of potential, Britt Baker has been really great Mm -hmm. the past couple weeks, and then you had, you know, Riho's been really good all along, despite the division as a whole not being strong. And then you had this really good yeah. bordering on great match, depending on who you talk to, that I really enjoyed. And I thought was like, is like, and like you, I think you, said, you put it best. This felt like the match where Nyla really got it. Like, this is my fucking role. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm supposed to be. 
yeah, it's like she felt more imposing than ever before. Because, you know, they always told us that she was imposing, but I never fully got it. Like, even her table match on Dark a few weeks ago just was kind of existed. You know, it wasn't anything good. But, yeah, this should have been the moment where we're all like, okay, I see why Nyla Rose is being pushed, or at least I kind of get it. But it's just being overshadowed, and that's a shame because they worked their asses off. That was very good stuff. Much better than their first match on the premiere of yeah, Dynamite. And here's the thing, too. It's like, if you don't like Nyla and you think she happens to be a shitty wrestler, that's great. Leave the other shit out of it. It's bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Like you know, like I said, it, I I, didn't, I wouldn't have put the title on Nyla Rose because she hadn't impressed me up to this point. I would have gone with Britt Baker, but that has nothing to do with who she is as a person. I just think... You know, Britt Baker was a more interesting choice, but, um, you know, it's not nothing to do with who Nyla Rose is as a person. So, yeah, it's just, like I said, unfortunate bullshit. We'll move on to some more positive stuff. Uh, question to you, what are you feeling? Do you think Angel Garza is going to be raw-bound officially here soon? Coming off a loss to Leo Rush, he's been brought up and paired with Zelina while Andrade's out. I don't know about you, but I'm I'm really feeling the way they're building it I'm feeling like an Andrade, Humberto, Garza, and Ray match for the U.S. title at Mania. That would be, like, that has the potential to steal the show, be much better than the, didn't we get, like, a four-way U.S. title match a few years ago with, like, Rusev and Orton and Rude um, and Jinder? And, yeah, this sounds much better. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I really like, like you said, I'm, I'm a big fan of the way that they've been building this. Uh, it's one of the best uses. Normally, somebody gets suspended, and they immediately just lose and they take the title off of them. But this is a real creative way around it. Andrade is still champion, and Zelina still gets to continue the feud with Ray and Humberto by bringing in Angel Garza. You're not losing much in the way of quality in that ring because Angel Garza is very good. I was surprised when he lost to Leo Rush because his promo the week before was like, I'm coming back for my title. I thought they do Angel... Uh, Jordan Devlin and then kind of move him on but this kind of works too because Leo gets his uh, revenge of sorts on the guy who took the title from him I say just move him to Raw and let him do his thing um, it'll be a little bit of a shame because I know you struggle to get through your 205 Live episodes and they keep losing talented yeah, people it's uh, again when you're populating the show every week with Davari and the Sings man it's like <laughs> But, uh, yeah, it's, I like Andy Garza a lot, obviously, as well. And the thing is, too, is, like, they can afford to move him on because there are so many fucking people in NXT that aren't being used. You know? So, I mean, and the other thing is, too, is I think you could tell a story when Andrade comes back of, you know, maybe Zelina is taking more of a liking to, um, Angel, Gar- or to, to Angel Garza and then you have a little slight dissension there, but then you got all the existing stuff with Ray and Humberto. Like I said, for me, it feels like that'd be a really great addition to Mania. That's like a super fucking strong match to me. It is, it is, and I think you, I think I mentioned, you know, we both mentioned it in our reviews of the, you know, once the Garza uh, Zelina thing started, that I could see it being a case where she starts becoming a little more enamored with Garza. Like maybe he starts picking up wins and it's Andrade gets a little, you know, upset by it. And then you set up, a, you know, Andrade babyface run against Angel Garza and that'll be great as well, you know. Um, I, I can't wait for uh, Andrade to come back because I feel like there's so many potential things to do with that U.S. title. Even after the Humberto feud, like, I'm ready for Andrade Ricochet in a major match, Andrade Alistair, and, you know, doing their NXT thing again. That's the other idea I heard tossed around for Mania, Andrade Alistair for the title. Cool. Doesn't seem like they're, it doesn't seem like they're 
like building towards it now. Um, but there's a lot you could do there. Their history, Zelina Vega's involvement on both sides, like I, I, you know. I agree. I think yeah. a lot, be good. A lot, again, a lot of possibility with the guys you got on that roster, obviously. And um, it, this might change following tonight's announcement of the next NXT UK Takeover. But my next question was. Um, do you think Jordan Devlin is NXT proper bound? Because he is the Cruiserweight champion. He's a guy Triple H and Sean are extremely high on. He's also a guy they felt that they weren't giving enough time to in NXT UK. Obviously, with it being NXT, he could still work that takeover show as the Cruiserweight champion if he's still the champion. But, um, I mean, do yeah. you think he, they may be shuffling him to NXT? Because it really feels like they want to use him more. It's such a tough call because on the one hand, yes, you want to use him more. He has been – he's so good but has been so underused in NXT UK. So it's like this would make sense. On the flip side, it's like can NXT UK afford to lose a guy like Jordan Devlin? They don't have the deepest roster. But again, it's not like he's been doing anything. Um, so it's just, it's so tough to call. I do think he's – like you said, Shawn Michaels is a huge fan. Um, I think they're trying to load up on NXT because – the Wednesday Night Wars are happening and the more guys like Devlin you could throw out there to kill it every week. Like, Devlin Leo Rush should be great this week. Um, so, yeah, I do think that he's going there, but I do think he works the Dublin show, which I didn't expect to Neither even hear an announcement about. I'm pleasantly surprised because I thought we were going to have to wait till fucking August again. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so maybe that's when we get the assumed Walter yeah, Dragon Yeah, that'd be a great addition. I would not be opposed to them... Um, it, uh, in Dublin, running back um, Devlin and Tyler Bate either. Yeah. Or even if you... Oh, no, I was going to say you could always do have Finn Battle show up for it in Dublin and do Finn Jordan Devlin again, but I don't know if that would work. I, don't, I can't really tell if Devlin's a heel or a face. But then again, you don't really want Devlin to lose to Battle, yeah. so maybe scratch that. Um, on a slightly serious, slightly joking question... Is it upsetting to you that Kyrie Zane does not have a major mania match where she can use the Tampa Bay Pirate ship as her entrance this year? <laughs> um, it is joking. Uh, you know, it's a joking thing. But the second uh, WrestleMania 35 last year that they showed the little Pirates of the Caribbean style video, I instantly was like, Kyrie Zane needs to be like the champion going into that show. Um, I mean, she still is the tag champion, so maybe she can still get a fancy entrance. Um but yeah, if, if they don't do it, it's a huge missed opportunity. <laughs> it's not going to affect the show negatively or positively, but well, I guess it won't affect it negatively if it doesn't happen. But if it happens, oh, I'll yes, be very it happy. Be, it would be great. Yeah, I, she's always fun. Like remember as NXT ch- Women's Champ, she had the little treasure chest with the title. Like it's, it's so she, much she's fun. adorable as well, even when she's evil. So, mm-hmm. To uh, to close up the news yeah. stuff, uh, we have uh, New Japan shows this week. There are four title matches actually this week. Uh, and some of these actually look pretty good. Uh, Shingo and Big Tom Ishii for the Neverweight Championship, Kev. I can't believe that they're running this on New Japan Road. <laughs> um, if you guys saw that my top 100 matches of 2019, you know, officially went up on 401 Mania, um, my highest rated New Japan match last year was Ishii Shingo from the G1. I love that match. <laughs> And I'm super stoked for this rematch, but I just assumed we'd get it at like a bigger show, maybe a um, Dominion or whatever the April one is being called this time. Um, I, I can't believe this is a New Japan Road Show I, a match. It sounds awesome. I'm assuming Shingo retains, 
but yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, super excited can't for it. Wait, and uh, on the same show, we also have a uh, Rapongi 3K defending against uh, Rocky Romero and uh, Taguchi, the Mega Coaches for the Junior Tag Titles, which. I think that'll be really fun because the Mega Coaches were really good in World Tag League and Rapongi 3K is really good. That's a strong addition to a New Japan Roadshow as well underneath the uh, Never Open Way title match, which should be really excellent. Absolutely. It's like when uh, I think it was going into the anniversary show a few years ago, Hiromu worked Taguchi in a title match. Taguchi and Romero are the perfect guys for something like this. They have you know, a little bit of name value. They're good in the ring. They'll give you a good match, even if they're not, you know, going to take the titles. I'm, I'm all for this kind of match. I still agree with you. It's hard to care about these tag divisions. I, I still think they should merge them. But, you know, I'm always down for a fun. And I, like I this. agree with the merging of the tag divisions. Just make it a fucking open weight tag division and let, let use the teams you got. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the next New Japan Road show, we have uh, Gorillas of Destiny defending against uh, the Golden Aces of Tanahashi and Kota Ibushi. Going to see how good uh, Tanahashi and Ibushi are and if uh, the Girls of Destiny actually feel like working a real match for once. Yeah, I'm very uh, vocal about my disdain for the Girls of Destiny. I'm not a fan at all. Um, but my favorite matches with them are when they work guys that I feel are, you know, like much better than them. Like, I really liked them against Aussie Open uh, last that year. That match, and they had a couple um, matches with the Briscoes that were really great as well. But, yeah, it's a, they they are a team that definitely needs a more talented tag team. Yeah, and, I, you know, that's that's fine. There's, some, you know, some guys in wrestling just are, or some people in wrestling just are like that. You know, sometimes you need that other person to lead the way, and that's okay. Tanahashi and Ibushi are the, definitely two guys who can – you know, Tanahashi can get me invested in anything. Well, especially so. after that hairdo on the last show, brother. I mean, <laughs> oh my, it was amazing. But I, I do want to point out that it made me really sad that I'm not getting Finn Juice against. Uh, not wait, is it Finn? Yeah, Finn Juice against uh, the Golden Aces because they teased that at New Year Dash, and that was like the most interested I've been in a tag title match in like years. Yeah, Ian so. Hamilton and I talked about that too. We were also disappointed, not only for not getting that match, but also because it felt like they did that tag t- tag title change at um, Wrestle Kingdom just to do the quote-unquote moment. And then they did it again in the U.S., a title change, just for a, we did a U.S. title change. It's one of those things where, like, people complain that, oh, WWE only books so people can have, like, moments at shows rather than whatever. And it's like, New Japan does it once in a while, too. Like, you know, sometimes they'll just do a title change. I think... I remember the Young Bucks winning the titles at Wrestle Kingdom and then, or Rapungi Vice or something, and then they lost at the next show. And I'm like, what is, what's the point of all yeah. of this, you know? And uh, the uh, other title match under that one is for the Never Openweight Six-Man Titles Champions, uh, Shingo, Evil, and Bushi, defending against a super fucking team of Toriyano, Colt Cabana, and Taguchi. <laughs> I didn't even know that was happening. Yeah, um, uh, Taguchi and um, Yano stole the titles on the one show. And then, then they announced that uh, Cole Cabana was going to be their partner. So, yeah, that makes so much sense. (laughs) So that that honestly looks fun, though. You know, this is what this is what the six man tag titles are for. You know, fun little defenses like this, or and I know nobody talks about it because not a lot of people watched it, but the banger defense against Robbie Eagles, uh, Ishii, and Goto the other day, like. These are the things that I want from exactly. this title. And the, again, these are titles that I've rallied for that they shouldn't be throwaway titles. These are the kind of titles that you can main event Road 2 shows and stuff with to you know give the show a little more yeah. importance. 
And if they're booked right and have decent champions to them and fun challengers, is that you look at the Fantastic Mania tour? The whole fucking arc of that tour was uh, Dulce Gardenia uh, trying to make out with the members of Lij, and then finally <laughs> getting to kiss Shingo on the final yeah. night, and then he got his ass beat. So it's like, um, that's the that's the quality storytelling right. I look for. But it was it was a fucking tour long mm-hmm. arc, and it was it was hilarious, and the crowd loved it, and that's. That's part of the thing. Like you said, fun title defenses. You know the crowd loves Taguchi. They love Yana. They love Cold over there. And LIJ is always over. Mm-hmm. And LIJ always has good trios matches. So it's like, no problem with that. Honestly, it's like the titles were meant for LIJ. Because it's like no matter which combo you put in them, they're pretty much the best champions no matter which three win it. You know, like they're always a safe bet for an entertaining title defense or six-man exactly. tag. And it's just, it's fun. So that's a, yeah, some uh, interesting title matches coming up on the New Japan Road shows, which are greatly appreciated for me since I have to review them. Always love that. I mean, uh, you know, it's better <laughs> than, uh, I mean, some of them are good, but it's better than just like the random elimination. They're not necessarily random, but the elimination matches, which kind of run together. But um, yeah. I agree with you about that, uh, the trio's title defense against uh, the uh, the chaos team. And, Robbie Eagles was spectacular yeah. in that match, but the only thing better than the Robbie Eagles performance was Gino Gambino post match. When they're like, you know, Kevin Kelly's like, Gino, you got to give it to him. I know you don't like him. And he's like, You're right, Kevin. I, I have to admit that Robbie still sucks and he's a loser. <laughs> he got all fucking serious and then buried him. It was so good. Gino's, G, Gino's kind of fun. Uh, you know, he's more fun than I expected as uh, well, the Kevin best Kelly's part partner. Gino is his. He does straight commentary unless it's a Bullet Club match. And then he's yeah. the Bullet Club host. Yeah, he's not just, I'm going to heal it up for the sake of it. He's not a heel commentator. He's exactly. a Bullet Club Exactly, so it works out really well. And him and Charlton also play well off each other, so they're a lot of fun. So uh, that wraps up the news and notes portion of the show. Uh, the big main event, obviously, NXT TakeOver Portland 2020, a standalone NXT TakeOver show. Uh, Kevin, no WWE pay-per-view this weekend, running on a Sunday night. They definitely, I don't know what the uh, attendance was, we'll find that out later, but they definitely had a lively crowd tonight. Yeah, it was one of the better crowds um, from start to finish, even on the pre-show where they booed everything Sam Roberts said and cheered everything Mansoor said. Like, they were into it from the start, and that did not let up all night. Um, I think it helped that the show literally went, I think it was like three hours and five minutes. So it's tight show, get in, get out, do your thing, and you don't, the crowd did not die. Again, that's the strength of these takeover shows. Even when you go to six matches, they keep it right around three hours. And that is so important because, mm-hmm. again, like you can do a long show, but I've also stressed it for you to have a great long show, you have to fucking deliver greatness throughout. And it's like, it's not easy. WrestleMania has problems with it. Wrestle Kingdom doesn't always do it. But you have the thing is, is like you just you have to have a lot of great because, as you said, sometimes the crowds can wane and sometimes it feels like filler in the middle. But then you get like these takeover shows, man. It's like, you know, five matches, six matches, boom, you're in, you're out. And it's, it's so good. It's so appreciative to know that, you know, I I wrote, I think I tweeted, I tweeted it out that the show started at 7 p.m. Eastern at 8 p.m. The third match was starting at 
9 p.m. The fifth match was starting. So it was basically like two matches every hour for three hours. Just nothing felt like it. I mean, until the, uh, we'll get into it later, but not much felt like it went too long or too short. Like everything was paced out very well. Exactly. So we had a performance by Poppy kicking off the show. A little special musical performance there. And then we opened up with the North American heavy, or North American Championship match with Big Keith Lee facing off with uh, Dominic Dajakovic. Going into the match, they were 1-1-2. and two. Obviously, they had a rich history outside of the company. You look at stuff like in PWG and Evolve. So they had a lot of stuff to play off of, not just in NXT, but overall in their careers. Big Keith Lee ended up uh, defeating Dajakovic uh, 2025 via pin. I think most of us expected that. Kev, what did you think of our opener? Uh, real quick, before I get into that, I just want to say I did really enjoy Poppy starting the show. I'm a fan of hers. Um, and I like when they do these little performances where it's the video package playing in the background so it doesn't feel like it's taken away from the show. Like, you know, they didn't stop the show for a concert randomly. Um, so I did like that. Uh, as for the opener itself, like you said, most we all ex- kind of expect to keep Lee to retain. He's red hot coming out of Survivor Series and Royal Rumble. Um, great match. I first saw them wrestle at Evolve, I want to say 80. It was Mania Weekend, like 2016 yeah. probably. Um, and they've kind of made, they've built their whole reputation on, you know, big, what is it that uh, Big E said about him and Goldberg possibly wrestling a big meaty yeah. men slapping meat? <laughs> like that's pretty much what they do but they just also do it in incredibly athletic ways it's always a good time uh this is probably my second favorite match between them i prefer like their first one just probably because of wow factor seeing them do it for the first time was insane um i really like the way that they built this feud on nxt where their tv matches are always good but to me it always felt like they hadn't gone all the way with their tv matches and then they saved it for takeover when they just went all out Dajakovic's like tope con hilo or whatever with Keith Lee on the chair was insane. They both landing on their feet on choke slam spots. It was just exactly what I want from Keith Lee versus Dominic yeah, Dajakovic. I, I, to go back to that Mania match, I love that Mania weekend match. That was one of my favorite matches from the whole Mania weekend I covered back then. I, I just I love those dudes. Yeah. And, um, yeah, definitely great opening match. They got plenty of time. We got the great Haas spots. We got some wild athleticism from both of those. Like, as you mentioned, you had Topes. You had, you had Lee catching him on the Fosbury flop at one point. Uh, the the backflips on the choke slams. So you mix that in. You had crazy near falls down the home stretch. Molten crowd throughout. They were into this big time. Um, just for me, another banger in their great catalog of matches. And um, for me personally, I was absolutely thrilled to see both of these guys get the shine on a takeover in a singles match. Yeah, and you know, one thing that uh, this is um, a case where Dijakovic has been a guy in NXT who I know is good, but I haven't really been able to connect to him much. Like I just, he's kind of just there for me. He always can, you know, he delivers good matches, but I don't really care much for him but this felt like the breakout performance that he needed you know he got the standing ovation after and it's like okay i don't i still don't know how much they do with him because nxc is just so filled with talent um but it it felt like a big moment for him and it's good for him you know it's another case of looking at this show or nxc shows and being like man roh you guys messed up big time i mean you can say that about a ton of people that have left (laughs) I mean, it's yeah. a laundry list at this point, man. It is. It's insane. But, um, yeah, great way to open the show, obviously. They got 
like I said, they got plenty of time. Didn't feel like they overstayed their welcome. Cried into it the whole time. Couldn't ask for a better opener, probably. I mean, it's just... I was slightly surprised that the tag match didn't open it, just for the fact that, like, Undisputed Era has kind of made, like, their name, like, having bangers and takeover openers. So I was sli- I was slightly surprised. I... Yeah, I heard Keith Lee's music started, and I was so confused. I was like, wait, I thought Undisputed yeah, just had this spot on lock. Like, they just open with great tag matches no matter who their opponents are. Um, I expected that or Finn Gargano to open. So this was a nice surprise, and they delivered great match, uh, one of the best of the night. And uh, you know, Moving so. on, we had our street fight, Dakota Kai facing off with Tegan Knox. In this match, uh, you know, we had some cool stuff. We had uh, Tegan Knox doing her Lady Kane deal. She paid a uh, tribute to Molly Holly with the mm-hmm. Molly go round at one point. Um, Dakota Kai ends up winning at fourteen twenty via pin when Raquel Gonzalez attacked Tegan Knox, and um, she is, apparently is going to be Dakota Kai's new heavy. Tossed her off the top rope onto the table, but unfortunately for Tegan, I am the table. It did not break. Yeah. I felt so bad for her because, like, she went up pretty high. And then she, I'm like, okay, she's probably yeah. going through. And then she just kind of bounced off. And I was like, oh, fuck. It's like this poor girl. Tia Knox <laughs> has the worst luck. So, yeah, it's just <laughs> like, like, come on, man. It's like, just break for her. But yeah. I thought they had a really great match that – the the start of the match was perfect when Dakota jumped her, brawled on the floor. No lockup bullshit. This is a street fight. They hate each other. Mm-hmm. I thought they had a lot of really good callbacks to the overall feud. Really good emotion throughout. And I thought that they not only played to the stipulation well, but it just simply played off of that established feud really well. So you had that story locked in. They worked really hard. They kicked the shit out of each other. I thought it was great. I will say that the finish felt just a little flat for me, but it didn't take away from it. I thought it was great. Just a little flat. Like, I get the interference. It wasn't, like, the interference necessarily. It was, like, you get the interference, then the table doesn't break, and then Dakota just kind of crawls over, and it's over. And I was like, oh, come on. But um, I thought yeah. it was great, though. They definitely delivered. <laughs> Very happy for these two because it's hard for women to get a second match on a takeover. And, um, you know, like EO and Candace got that last year and they fucking knocked it out of the park. Oh, and, um, so I thought good. Dakota and Tegan killed it here. Great match. Very happy for them. And, uh, this feud will continue. This was very nearly my favorite match of the night. Um, I came in with super excited for it. I'm a huge Dakota Kai fan have been since her EV days when I first saw her and like stardom and shimmer, um, really like Tegan Knox, and I'm really into this feud. And like you said, I it's nice when the women get that second match on the card. I'm a sucker for like a good old fashioned grudge match on the card. Like Candice EO was one of my favorite matches last year. Um, so really excited about this. Like you said, I think they started perfectly. I like the idea that Dakota would attack because you know that's kind of who she's been lately. And then she tried to get the pin immediately. Like it made sense for her to try to sneak her way out of this. Tegan was more aggressive. Tegan's emotions got the best of her at times. I think they did really well, like you said, with the um, stipulation, things like the, uh, Tegan using the chain. Um, some of the spots were like just absolutely brutal. Dakota hitting her, hitting Tegan with the trash can lid, I've never reacted like that to a trash can lid shot. Like It was brutal. Um, I do think that the finish was a little flat. I don't think it was needed. I, I've seen Reina, or sorry, Raquel Gonzalez several times. 
but that's just like she's appeared on live NXT shows that I've attended. Um, nobody really knew who she was. So that, it was like when the Dark Order showed up in AEW, that it was like, wait, who are these guys? Um, so that's kind of what it was. With it, it made it kind of feel flat. I feel like the ending would have been better had Tegan kept trying to dish out punishment and then have it backfire because she was too emotional and, T- and Dakota takes advantage of that. I mean, they could go somewhere cool with it, but just I feel like Dakota should have just won off Tegan's being too aggressive. But phenomenal match either way. Um, really excited to see what comes next. For yeah, them. again, so yeah, definitely, definitely a great addition to the car. Not like I said, very, much like Dodgekovic and Lee, very happy that they got to shine on a takeover stage, especially because I mean, especially Tegan, but Dakota's also been through a lot injury wise as well. So, you know, like I said, it's, it's it's cool to see people work hard and get rewarded. Uh, that was followed by the Sunday, April 26th announcement for NXT T- UK TakeOver Dublin. And again, um, I would expect Jordan Devlin to be pretty prominent on that card being in Dublin. Uh, Elia and Walter seems pretty likely. So we'll see what happens. Uh, yeah. But we'll, yeah, NXT TakeOver, uh, UK TakeOver, getting an earlier TakeOver than I think most of us expected, which is good news because that brand needs it because there's a lot of staleness that goes on. Like I, I said it one week because people got upset. I'm like, it's never necessarily a bad show or anything, but like there's weeks where it feels mm-hmm. like nothing happens. Yeah, honestly, it, it you don't get a uh, a sing you know you don't get the Sing Brothers and <laughs> Ari and Davari every week. Um, it's usually consistently at least solid shows. But like you said, there's just cases where five you know three or four weeks go by in a row, and I'm like, what that what has changed? You know, um, it's kind of just there, and they suffered through that last year. The break between January to August for takeovers, it was like a lot of nothing happened. And you could tell the difference in the shows once they started revving up for Cardiff that the shows got more interesting and invested. And then Cardiff was a very good show, and then it kind of died down. It's like they need a little I, – I get the idea of not throwing as many pay-per-views and takeovers as possible, but they need more than just exactly. one every eight Yeah, months. I mean, I'm not – we don't need six, but, like, they need more than two. Yeah. Is the problem. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that'll be cool. It'll be nice to see what they build up for that show. Because, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm one of the few people that actually watches NXT UK. That's the running joke with Ian. Yeah. And I do, You and Ian, and that's about it. So, <laughs> you know. Honestly, yeah. And, you know, I feel like other people just check the reviews and they're like, you know, oh, is this a recommended match? Okay, I'll check that out. But other than that, you know. I always laugh when people try to tell me. I did an NXT UK uh, catch-up before the takeover. I'm like, no, you didn't. <laughs> you, you didn't watch, like, 12 weeks of TV. Don't lie to me. <laughs> No, you watched maybe like three matches at a promo. Yeah, he watched the Prime Target special, and we're like, "This looks cool. I'll watch it." So. <laughs> to be fair, those Target oh, they're, they're those actually, specials are really good. Uh, back to the ring, yeah. Finn Balor and Johnny Gargano, um, a well-built feud. Gargano looking to get revenge for Balor, making him miss a takeover and taking him out of action. Balor coming in to take over nine and one all time, and. Finn Balor defeats Johnny Gargano 27-20 via pin. Kev, what did you think of our match? I I like that this was a uh, it was a much different field than the first two matches. You know, Lee and Dijakovic just threw bombs at each other, and then Dakota and Tegan had this intense match. And while there was a, a sense of intensity to Johnny Finn, um, it was more like a slow burn. 
and I think they mostly managed it well. There were a few points where it felt like maybe you're going a little slow for how heated this is. Um, but overall, it was a nice change of pace for the show. Uh, two great wrestlers doing great things. Johnny can't seem to miss on a takeover. Um, I like. I think Finn has worked very well as a heel. I said it when uh, you know him against Dragonoff at when uh, Worlds Collide. Or, um, I think he's very good at the aggressive. Like his John Wood drop kicks, he's like it has extra snap. The nineteen sixteen he used to win was like just vicious looking. And Johnny's such a good underdog babyface that they just play very well off each other. I put it probably a notch below the first two matches, but still something that you know I gave four stars to. So great, great yeah, match. I, I thought it was great as well. It was everything I wanted from it, honestly, because it had intensity. It had the hate. They played off of the established feud. Again, very important, keeping that story strength throughout the mm-hmm. match. I thought the action was great throughout, and we both got uh, we got Johnny Takeover as usual, and we got NXT Balor because he was like you said, like yeah. certain things, like that intensity, the little more viciousness, the John Woo, that one off the fucking announce table. Jesus Christ! Yeah, if you didn't yeah. see the match, Gargano is standing on an announce table. Balor runs off the other one and just obliterates him with a fucking John Woo dropkick. It was great. And um, yeah, it's just so good. Good callbacks to the um, the feud coming in and how it unfolded. Um, like you said, Gargano is such a good babyface. Finn is killing it in this role. And um, it was not only about who was the better wrestler, but it, I thought it had that the heat of the established feud in the story, which just tied everything together extremely well and gave it that little extra oomph. And plus, again, you had the hot crowd, so. Yeah, uh, two things I want to mention. Uh, one, like you were saying, the John Woo drop kick off the the table, like that was the mo- the bat the the match's big moment, and I really liked that it didn't, you know, they didn't go into the, like follow that up with a whole bunch of false finishes or near falls. It was just he did that, and that kind of pretty much ended Johnny. You know, they went in, they had a little exchange, and then Finn, like you could tell, even though Johnny was fighting back, it was kind of a wrap after that. Um, so I think that was kind of cool. And I, like you were saying, they played off their feud very well. I think NXT, like people don't talk about it enough. They're fantastic at that. It's like every match is specifically laid out to perfectly play what the feud is. I remember Ricochet versus Velveteen Dream. Yeah. A couple of years ago, it was all about anything you could do, Dream could do better. And Dream would literally do everything, like try to you know jump as far as Ricochet. And it cost them at the end. And I think it's really smart to build matches around exactly. the Exactly. And it's just... It's not silly, but that's basic pro wrestling, man. You know, it's like, yeah, the action is great. The crowd is hot, but they were also into it, too, because there was that story. And, like, the other thing I, I kind of glossed over, too, the cool thing was is they brought on the floor at one point, and Johnny Gargano actually hit the John Woo into the barricade, which that was what Ballard yeah. did before he took him out, um, and that led to him missing that takeover. So, that, again, like little callback spots like that, keeping that string of the story all throughout the match. You know, again, one twenty-seven did not feel long at all, though. I didn't think. No, not at all. And like I said, it was a little bit of a shorter, um, I mean, a slower bird. But at no point was it a case where I was like, "Yeah, I'm tired," you know, "I'm bored of this" or anything. It was just, it was nicely laid out. It never felt boring even if they were doing that slow burn. Uh, Roddy Strong cut a promo backstage promising that Velveteen Dream was going to be a dead man Wednesday night and that uh, tonight his boys were going to dominate, and uh, we'll talk about that later. Uh, Next up, NXT (laughs) Women's Champion Rhea Ripley and Bianca Belair. 
Rhea Ripley det- uh, retained a 1330 1335 via pin. The first thing is, you know, going into this, these two were in a very difficult spot for two reasons. First of all, you just had a string of three bangers ahead of them. And obviously the crowd yeah. was really into those, so you could expect a little crowd fatigue. And then the other thing was the crowd was really cold at the start, and part of that was is WWE, for me, they played their hand too soon setting up Rhea and Charlotte. Because then you kind of make Bianca yeah. feel like a lame duck challenger of the month. So that mm-hmm. was my problem with this. The good news is, is to their credit, man, they busted their asses. I thought they had a really good match. They got the crowd into it by the end. And they got them buying into a few of the near falls. And that was that was the big thing they had to overcome. And it's just, it wasn't nearly my favorite match on the card or anything. But it was really good. And considering the position they were put in, I mean, I look at it as a, as a success because... Talk about being behind the eight ball double time, you know? Yeah, um, it, it reminds me of, I don't know if I mentioned it when I was on last time, but I, I, Shayna Baszler kept falling into the trap of she had to follow like Velveteen Dream matches. And I was like, that's not a good place to be because <laughs> he'd always have a banger and then she would have to follow. And it's just like, I'm like, poor woman. Um, but yeah, this had to follow some big stuff. I agree 100%. They played their hand early with Charlotte Rhea. I get it. You want to get the hype out there for a match that has potential to be like huge. Um, but it did kind of diminish this match because it's like as good as I, I really like Bianca Belair. I I really have enjoyed her. I think she's she's probably the best athlete, male or female, on the roster. Like she's ridiculous. Um, but yeah, it kind of just made this match seem like oh well, we're just getting past. Bianca so we could do Rhea Charlotte. I have seen some people say that, you know, Charlotte attacking Bianca or whatever after the match could set up a triple threat. I don't think that's the way that they're going. Um, But as for the match itself, great stuff. They didn't go too long. I think it went like 13 minutes, you said. Um, Just tons of, like, good hard-hitting action. The finish was smart, but it did feel a little anticlimactic, I guess. Maybe it's just because we're so used to tons of, like, you know, big kickouts and stuff. Um, but I really like the fact that Bianca held on for the sunset flip and Rhea held her arm and did the riptide. Really cool finish. I like the spot where they're slapping each other in the corner and then Bianca just whips her with the hair. Um, creative, like, good match. Very yeah, good again, match. Again, uh, enjoyable. And I, I think y- you couldn't really ask much more from them in the position because, again, it was they were behind that eight ball, man. It's just bet- between the matches ahead of them, which – you know, sometimes you just have to step up for that. But, I mean, the the Charlotte thing is what yeah. really, I think, had people cold. Because I think people were waiting for Charlotte to come to see if there was going to be an angle. And we did get yeah. that angle post-match. Mm-hmm. Charlotte laid out Rhea, accepted the match, hit natural selection, posed with the title, and then threw Bianca into the steps. And WWE has announced on Twitter that it is Charlotte and Rhea at WrestleMania. And I'm so happy when something that we say, you know, on a podcast like this comes to fruition because we were both agreed in agreement that Charlotte winning the Rumble is only fun if she goes after Rhea and not Bailey or Becky, who she's wrestled a ton. This is a fresh match. It's super intriguing because I honestly don't know where they go with this. Does Rhea get the huge win or does Charlotte win because, you know, Charlotte wins? <laughs> um, and it's, it's, it's such a good matchup of, like, two 
people who are very talented, very athletic. Um, I'm exp- this honestly of everything that is teased or announced for Mania so far. This has my interest. Yeah, and I think too is I mean honestly, you look at Charlotte's Mania history. She's delivered very well at Mania. And, you know, she's a big show performer. Some of her TV stuff lacks a lot of the time. But, yeah, you look at pay-per-view and Mania and stuff like that. She delivers. Rhea definitely can step up. And I agree. I think it's one of the most interesting things they're booking on the card so far. Yeah, Charlotte is the best, like, big match worker of any female that I've ever seen. She is arguably the best big match, like, wrestler, I think, like, you know, period. Because she reminds me a lot of, I know a lot of people say like Okada and the fact that, you know, you'll get those days where a guy like him is just kind of phoning it in like she will on TV. When it comes time for, you know, Wrestle Kingdom or something, he's going to give you a big time match. And she's very similar. Yeah, she does. I mean, and there's no disputing that. I mean, it's, I I find it really weird Mm -hmm. when people want to downplay that. And it's like, have you not seen the Mania matches? Like the triple threat with Sasha and Becky and, yeah, I mean, obviously last year mm-hmm. wasn't great, but like the Oscar match was great. It's just like you know, and then you look at yeah, some of the I... other stuff. You look back to like the Evolution match with Becky, and just you look at those. Her yeah, and Trisha SummerSlam, really, really strong stuff. I love that, and it's just mm-hmm. yeah, you look at a lot of that stuff, and Charlotte steps up. So it's a uh, yeah, and it's it's obviously again a huge opportunity for Rhea. I love that she's getting it. I love that she's going to get a Mania match, and I um, I mean, mm-hmm. I. I can see them putting the title on Charlotte, but I really hope not. You know. Yeah, I feel like Rhea needs to win. Um, and then whoever eventually beats Rhea for the title gets a huge yeah. rub. Um, so, yeah, I just I, I think Rhea definitely should win. But, again, I, I said Oscar should have won at Mania 34, and Charlotte won there, too. So, or I said Sasha should have won at Mania 32, and Charlotte won there. Lady so. Big Dog, Kev. What are you going to do? <laughs> Lady Big Dog. Lady yeah, I mean, I love, I love uh, Rhea to win, and I definitely hope they build to a feud with her and EO. Oh yeah, I feel like Rhea EO is the the big money match. I was trying to say that that should be the Mania weekend match, but Rhea Ripley's like, <laughs> yeah. excuse me, I'm gonna work Mania. See, that's anyway, where I so. thought they were initially going, and then you know EO got banged up with her knee, and then they made the move to Charlotte, which again, not a bad thing because you can still do Rhea and EO later. So as long as we get to that, I, I agree. I think that's a big match. Looking forward to it. Now that I think about it, though, what does this do for TakeOver? There's still a TakeOver the night before WrestleMania. You're not going to have Rhea defend it that night because everybody knows she's going to retain. You're not going to waste Rhea Charlotte. Yeah, they'll, you know? they'll put the Cruiserweight title on the show probably. And... Yeah, we'll probably get like a women's match that isn't uh, – Yeah. You know, a depending match on who's or healthy, they could probably do like a, a three-way number one contenders or something. Or yeah, they could. I mean, they definitely they have so much fucking talent that you know. It's yeah, you could do Io Bianca because Io got eliminated by her in the Battle Royal, and they could say like that's when she got hurt because she hasn't been on TV I think since. So yeah, definitely. Again, lots lots of options, deep roster, no doubt. So I'm not crying for NXT Takeover on Mania Weekend. I'm sure they'll be fine. The Bruiser Weights arrived in the Bruiser Weight Mobile, and Matt Riddle made fun of Bobby (laughs) Fish with his How Much Fish Could Bobby Fish Fry If Bobby Fish Could Fry Fish line. Bobby Fish was not amused, and the champions attacked, which kicked off our tag title match, which was next. Uh, The Bruiser Weight Mobile. Good stuff. Yeah, I was uh, a. The Bobby Fish Fry thing is like so stupid, but it's so Matt Riddle. 
Like, it feels like the kind of thing that Matt Riddle actually sits at home and exactly. thinks is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's we have a tag fitting. team title match here. I know a match we were both looking forward to because the Broserweights developed into a really great tag team. They were a really fun dynamic. Um, in and out of the ring, Undisputed Era. We keep talking about them. I mean, just a great tag team. Have been for years. Always deliver on takeovers. Got the co-main event spot here. And, uh, you know, uh, we kind of talked about having to overcome a lot. And, uh... Pretty sure these guys did it, Kev. We had new champions, 1750 via pin. Your thoughts first, sir? Um, I would say, and I think I looked at your ratings too, this was, for me, the best match of the night. Um, the Undisputed Era, like Kyle and Bobby are just master tag team wrestling. And I like that this didn't specifically follow the tag formula that we all know. It's like Matt Riddle did get the hot tag, but that came pretty early in the match. And then it was just kind of ridiculous the rest of the way. It was just so much, and it's it's like nonstop action. But they still they're still great tag team wrestling. Like Bobby, uh, you know, getting Matt Riddle in perfect position so that Kyle could come off the top and drop the knee onto his leg and then put on the submission, um, the dueling submission spots. Like when both had the ankle lock on the bruiser weights, and then the undisputed ever turned it back around on them. It's just the match is filled with fantastic moments like that. Honestly, I totally bit on the near fall where Riddle's knocked off the apron and then they hit Chasing the Dragon. And once that wasn't the end, I was like, I don't know how these guys are going to end this match because that seemed like the perfect finish. Um, I like the tease of the Broserways not being a consistent team. And then they kept having moments where like they would accidentally hit the other one only for them to overcome it and win the titles in the end. Just all around tremendous Yeah, I, I agree. This is my favorite thing on the show. And obviously a lot of great stuff on this show. And um. You know, Undisputed Era, mm-hmm. you, you you just said it and I talked about it. It does sound like a broken record, but they delivered on another takeover. These guys kill it. Um, I thought they did an excellent job, also, as you mentioned, teasing the uh, dissension in the weights, making you think they would fail and implode at the end, which they, they didn't. They overcame. It all led to a hot closing stretch. Some really done near falls that pulled the crowd into it. Like you said, that chasing the dragon near fall was great. I thought there was a, a lot of innovative stuff in the match, but it was also combined with just a great foundation of classic tag team wrestling, and that comes from Bobby and Kyle just being so fucking excellent. Um, a tremendous piece of business yeah. here. Everybody delivered as expected. I love this match. Um, yeah, it's um, if you only have time for one match on this show, this is probably the one, although, I mean, you can't go wrong, obviously, watching the whole show, but just it's... um. Yeah, this was just this was it for me. I love tag team wrestling. Again, Undisputed Era is so good. It's insane, like how good those four are. Like, there's not a. I mean, I know everybody says, or a lot of people feel Bobby Fish is the you know like the worst guy in the group, which is a shame to say it. But it's like none of them. They always deliver. The tag team always puts on. I can't remember the last tag title match they had that wasn't fantastic. Roderick Strong is. Still, in my opinion, the most underrated wrestler in the world because he's always great and nobody ever really talks about him. Adam Cole is putting on big time matches all the time. It's like I don't. It, it's fantastic that we get to see this. You know, these guys working so well together. It so really consistently. is. And, it's, and uh, I, man, I hate when people run down fucking Bobby Fish because it's like, yes, Bobby <laughs> Fish is the elder statesman in the group. Yes, he's had a few unfortunate injury snafus in the last year. But, again, when was the last time you could say Bobby Fish had a bad wrestling match? 
Absolutely. Like I said, I you know I get it that they consider him the worst of the group, but that's like you know being the worst. I don't know, like picking a bunch of five star matches and trying to say which is the worst. You know, it's all good. It's just you know somebody has to be a, a, the the worst, and he's still fan. He's still. It angers me Bobby honestly Fish. on the level of people that like to shit on Rocky Romero. Because that really annoys the shit yeah. out of me. And every, last year before Best of Super Juniors, oh, what the fuck is Rocky Romero doing in there? And then Robbie had, uh, he probably had uh, one of the most memorable matches of the whole tournament with Phantasmo. It was easily my favorite Phantasmo match ever and my favorite match of his. Like, it's, uh, I mean, my favorite Rocky, uh, second favorite match, of the, second or third favorite match of the tournament. And my favorite was Shingo Show, but that was way better than I expected yeah, it's like, it to be. It just, and I've said it before, it's not so much, I, I don't like to dwell on age so much, but I, I will have concerns with certain people if like you have a long injury history and stuff like that. But like mm-hmm. Rocky doesn't have a long injury history. Bobby doesn't really have a long injury history. He's had some unfortunate things happen in the past year. But again, it's like, well, yeah, some bad time. I don't think anybody could tell me the last time Bobby Fish had a bad match. I'm sure it was sometime in ROH on some shitty TV match he had with like Rhett Titus or some shit, you know. But again, that's <laughs> he's working Rhett Titus probably. So no disrespect to yeah, Rhett Titus, yeah. seems like a lovely gentleman and all. But I mean, so but yeah, no, Bobby's so good. But yeah, again, just oh, great tag team wrestling, man. It's a uh, a month of you know we, last month or so, you know we've had some great stuff. You go back, we had the Mustache Mountain uh, DIY match. Um, I watched a really great Briscoe's Mexiblood match and got this one. Had that trios match we talked about with uh, Lij and Chaos. Mm-hmm. A lot of great tag team stuff happening around the world, man. Just... And I appreciate it. I love tag team wrestling. And that led to our main event of the evening: Champion Adam Cole defeating Tommaso Ciampa in what felt like fifty-three minutes and twenty-five seconds. It was actually thirty-three. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I saw that uh, we both actually gave this the same um, rating. I will, let me say this, because I don't want to feel like I'm shitting on this match. It's like, there was a lot to love about this match. And on the surface, it, the yeah. end of the match is Johnny Gargano turning heel on Ciampa, hitting him with the title, Cole retains, after a ref bump and some bullshit from the Undisputed Era. I kind of love the Gargano heel turn, because it's following that failure against Balor. And it's something we haven't seen, but... And also, many ways, this match just, it felt too long in the end. You had the overbooked finish, and it felt like diminishing returns with way too many kickouts down the stretch. Like, it got slightly ridiculous, and I'm not like a huge, huge selling stickler all the time. But there are points. Yeah. Like, there are points on, like, uh, Shingo and Ishii in a striking exchange. And that's like a fighting spirit spot, and then they eventually go down. And then they come back. And yeah. then you factor adrenaline in. But then, like, this match, and this normally doesn't always get to me, but the Panama Sunrise spot on the floor, only to slide right back in for a Willow's Bell by Ciampa and Fairytale ending, and then Cole kicks out. And it's like, why the fuck did you do the Panama yeah. Sunrise on the floor to a guy with a neck injury if you're not going to sell it at all? And I'm not joking. I mean, they rolled right back in. It's it's a case where I, I, that was the same exact moment for me that kind of like really turned this around. Um, I, I'm not like you said I'm not one of those people that overly stickers for it. Like I remember um, 
when Sami Zayn wrestled Cena during like the U.S. title thing, there was a spot where like Cena took a DDT outside, and then he got in the ring, and people were up in arms that he immediately got up for offense. And it's like I get that that's not great, but it wasn't that big of a problem to me there. But this match was literally most of Cole's work was built around the fact that Ciampa's coming off a broken neck. Ciampa was kicking his ass to start the match, and Cole only turned it around with that sick-looking wheelbarrow suplex into the announce table because it hit the back of his neck. Everything Cole did, the backstabber, was, like, focused on that. And then he does the Panama Sunrise outside, and Ciampa immediately is like, once he gets in the ring, I'll just hit my move and then cover it. Did you not even take a rest before you pin? Or, you know, because they had one of those uh, fighting spirit spots you're talking about in Bianca versus Rhea. I forget what it was, but Bianca immediately got up and hit Rhea with a move and then fell on her back and neither one of them moved for a few seconds. And it's like Ciampa just did that move and went into his next thing. And it just, like you said, diminishing returns. It goes overboard. I had the same issue with uh, Cole Gargano 3 in Toronto, I think it was. Yeah. The two out of three falls. I mean, three stages of hell. It's like, I get it. It's 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 looked like the kind of thing that I would have done playing with action figures when I was a kid. Like, I just wanted the match to just keep going and do bigger moments. And it's like, it's not laid out or structured the way I, it should be. It's just... Let's do as many big things as we can. Yeah, so I mean that—that's kind of where it lost me. I, I think it's like, it's like, a, it's like basically. I, I thought it was like really good, but they—they they did mm-hmm. lose me, Don, to stretch with all that. Again, I think the Gargano heel turn is interesting. Willing to see where that goes, changing character because I think people felt that Ciampa was going to lose here and then snap and go heel. And they totally flipped the script yeah. with the Gargano thing. And real quick on Gargano, to go back, you were talking about like the various fighting spirit spots throughout the night. Another one was in the Gargano-Balor match where they had a great exchange. And um, Gargano hits super kick and Balor hits the Pele. But they're so exhausted that Balor's on his back and Gargano collapses on him and he ends up getting a near fall. Yep, and that's just, you know, like, make it seem like, yeah, they did that out of adrenaline, but it's not like they can just sustain that for a long time. Um, I'm sure you're one of the few people who remember or remembers or at least reviewed it that was, like, the finish to uh, Keith Lee, Matt Riddle, Last Man Standing and Evolve or whatever. I think it was WWE title or something. You know, they were just hitting the hell out of each other, and then one just fell on the other, you know, kind of thing. So um, it's... Like, I get the idea of doing the big power-up spots and the no-sell moments, but you can't just forget to sell, period. And and again, like you said, going back, the whole crux of Cole's work in the match was attacking the man who just came off neck surgery by beating down his neck. And then you hit a fucking Mm -hmm. flip pile driver on the floor, and literally two seconds, they're back in the ring. And Chiampa's just hitting his moves, and I'm like, listen, you were telling this fucking great story. Why did you do that? And it kind of makes me think it's like there's kind of two eras of NXT main events. You have the Triple H slow build style main events, which were like Balor, Bobby Roode, Samoa Joe, and Nakamura. Yeah, I remember Roode Nakamura was like 48. And then you kind of have this. Now you're into the Shawn Michaels, for lack of a better word, melodrama era where He's trying to recreate some of his best matches, like the Undertaker match with Cole Gargano and Ciampa, but Mm -hmm. it's not the same thing because it's not the same investment level as people had in him and Undertaker. And then, like, you're getting, like, diminishing returns is kind of the key phrase for this, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it reminds me a lot of the fact, uh, the idea that 
you don't have an epic by going out and trying to have an epic. Like, obviously, you're going to try to have a good match or a great match, but it's like when you put the sole focus on, you know, the idea that, oh, we can do all these kickouts and all these close calls and false finishes, that's not what's going to work. It reminded me a lot of, and I know I make a lot of comparisons to New Japan and Okada and stuff, but last year, the Okada-Sonata match at King of Pro Wrestling that went like 38 minutes, that felt like they were trying to do an epic rather than just going out and do and having one, you know? And it's like if you try too hard for it, it doesn't work that way. That's what a lot of these NXT main events recently have felt like. We're trying. Like Cole Gargano, the third, the one in Toronto, felt like how much shit can we do in 45 minutes? Yeah, and uh, that's like the criticism, we and we've kind of talked about it earlier in the show when we were talking Mania stuff, is like Triple H goes out in Mania and he tries to have these epics and it's mm-hmm. like listen dude you're really smart and you're still a good wrestler on a lot of levels but you don't need to be going 25 30 minutes with guys that can't tell the story you want to tell and do all the work that you want to do and again i guess for lack of a better thing going back to a new japan comparison like you just did is you know we talk about kev we love our new japan dads okay um yeah. the new japan dads know their roles Kojima can still go to a certain extent and have some good matches. Had a really good match with Shingo last year. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, my man Nagata can go out there, have a really good to great match. Yep. Tenzon cannot do that. Mm-hmm. And he knows that. And they don't try it. <laughs> they don't book him yeah. in 18-minute matches. Planet Nakanishi, who's about to retire, they don't book him in 18-minute singles matches just because he's a former IWGP champion. You have to know yep. your strengths and work to it. And it's like, that was like a lot of my problems with like that Triple H stuff. And it's like, he's smart and should know better. You're an older dude. Be yeah. fucking, be old Batman. And in, in the fucking, and the, what the mm-hmm. fuck is the graphic novel? Do you know? Yeah. Be the old Dark Knight Batman. Returns. You are not spry and fast and athletic anymore. You are now a brick shit house that can take punishment and deliver it. That's what you should be. And and my thing with that also is it, if you look back at Triple H's career, like Triple H was never a bad wrestler, but think about every like great Triple H match. They're not often like a straight wrestling match that goes 25 minutes. It's, I always felt like he tried to make himself into this like technician. Like he felt like he was this great technician, but he was always a great brawler. Like his best matches are always those like get it. I mean, not that they were always short, but you know, he's just always good at that kind of a match when he tries to do these slow burn methodical matches. It's like, that's not your wheelhouse dude, especially when you're in well, your forties. Is, is he always wanted to be Harley race and Ric Flair. Absolutely. I that's what it that. is. Cause I love those guys, but it's like, yeah. Again, play to your strengths. And like you said, a lot of the brawling matches he had, like the Mick Foley stuff, spectacular. Just, mm-hmm. but like, I like to think that Hunter's smart enough that he should know better. And like, it's interesting right now that like, you know, he wasn't on the last Saudi show. Right now, they don't yeah. seem to be building to a Mania match for him. Yeah, because usually yeah, they would have so already maybe by now. He's like, you know what? You know, maybe after that tag yeah. match with Sean, and they were like, you know what, <laughs> we're Danny Glover and Lethal <laughs> Weapon, we're getting too old for this shit, bro. <laughs> so, but, but yeah, it's um again, th- this was far from a bad match. Um, one of the weaker matches on the show. It's just because it, 
they they ended up telling this great story and then just abandoned it. They threw it out the window with that at that moment just so they can go into the supposed drama of the near falls and the false finishes and Which all is that. Which because I thought they were telling a really great story. Yeah, it was so good up to that point. The neck work was, you know, well, it was, it was really good so, up to that NXT point. So, NXT TakeOver Portland 2020, Kev, final thoughts on this show? Um, like, you know, if you look at my review, I gave it a 9.5 out of 10. It was on pace for being, for me, one of, if not, like, you know, up there with, like, a top three TakeOver ever. I still, I think New Orleans is probably my favorite ever, but some of the war games. But, like, literally, I gave every match at least four stars going into that main event, and it was on its way to that until they, you know, blew it at the end. So, and, and I mean, even so, like like we're saying, we didn't love the main event, but it's not like it was a bad match. It's not like they shit the bed. You know, it was still very good. When you have a three-hour show with six matches and all are at least very good to great, it's, it's, a, it's a home run of a show. And that's just what TakeOver does now, you know? Like, even if NXT TV, which I think has been, you know, really good weekly, um... But even if NXT TV is bad for a few weeks, or you know, not bad, but uh, like you know, skippable for a few weeks, they still always deliver when exactly. it comes to TakeOver. And uh, I liked it a little less than you. Still thought it was a really good, really strong, great show that I enjoyed mm-hmm. a lot of. Um, for me, you know, the the main event um, held it back a little bit. Um, I, but we got, you know, we, there's a lot to love in the ring. We got new tag team champions. We got Charlotte officially accepting the challenge, the big heel turned by Gargano. So a lot of stuff coming out of it. I think had the main event played differently and hadn't broken down into what it did. And if they hadn't shown their hands so early with Charlotte and Rhea, cause I think I, if they mm-hmm. wouldn't have, the crowd would have been more into Rhea and Bianca, which would have added to it for me. Cause again, it was a really good match. I just, didn't like it as much as a lot of the others. But again, obviously nothing wrong with it. And again, I also think they made the absolute best out of a shitty position they were put in. So, I mean, again, really, really <laughs> strong show. And you, you can't go wrong with TakeOver. So, no comp- no real major complaints from me, to be honest. Absolutely, yeah. You know, even when we say that a match didn't deliver, it still exactly. was a good match. So, uh, that is going to wrap us up for tonight. I'm going to let everybody know Kev is going to be joining me on the post-game show for the Elimination Chamber, which I believe is March 8th, coming up soon. It is. It's actually uh, two days after I go to NXT Live, uh, so that'll be a yeah. little fun thing I can maybe give some great. tidbits so, about. Yeah, so, Kev, we'll be back. I appreciate your yeah. time as always, my friend. Of course. Thank you for having so, me, and uh, look forward I, uh, to the next time. Out, Kev, uh, plug your Patreon and Twitter, man. Of course, uh, that Twitter, uh, the Twitter is at the Kevsta. That's T A G underscore K E V S T A A A. The Patreon is the same thing. Patreon.com slash the Kevsta. Um, I'm doing weekly. Re- I saw someone on the 401 Media comments once say that they wish I did weekly reviews like you do, Larry. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I'll do some of those on uh, a Patreon. So I do Raw, Dynamite, and SmackDown there. I don't do NXT there since I do that on 401 Mania. Um, you can also find exclusive reviews, top 10 lists, movie stuff, um, all sorts of stuff there. So, yeah, just check that out. Um, any any uh, support is yeah, appreciated. Have some support. I, again, I appreciate your time. That's going to wrap us up for episode 91. This is the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, the 411mania.com website. 
any major podcasting platform, please make sure to subscribe to our show. Share us around on social media and with your friends. Leave us a thumbs up and subscribe on YouTube. And I will be back Wednesday night with Steve, and we will be talking the normal Wednesday night wars.